This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly Mixed. Hi, and welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, and we are about to get into it. It... So I just got done editing the episode that I'm introing right now, and so I'm still all in my feelings about it. Um, So bear with me through this intro because it might run long, and then that'll push the episode long, but there's a lot of feelings. (laughs) A lot of feelings. This is an interview that I recorded six months ago, maybe a little bit over six months ago, and I struggled to find a place to put the episode. Uh, so basically, I, I said before, I record a bunch of interviews and then I sort of curate the show based off of what's either going on in the world at that particular time or what I'm feeling or what, you know, maybe speaks to me more. And I have a list that's sitting here in front of me on my desk that has everybody I've spoken to. And, and I'm familiar with everything that we talked about and things like that. But and then, you know, if that's what I'm feeling right now, that's what I'm putting in. And around the time I was originally going to place this interview, Uh, things kind of took a turn towards sort of like empowerment and positivity and things like that. And so I just sort of had these like episodes after episodes, uh, I think kind of starting with Mixed Up Mama and Mixed Up Clothing with Sonia King Smith and um, Caitlin from the Melanin Collective and stuff like that. So I just had a bunch that were more geared towards empowerment. And so I started building the show around those. And then also the white passing topic kind of came up a bunch as well. So like the last three or four months have been sort of about things like that. Um, And it made it harder and harder than to place. I do have still about three, two or three interviews from about five and six months ago that I haven't shared shared with y'all. And this is part of the reason is that I'm having a hard time figuring out when to place it in the in what make militantly mix has become over the last uh, eight months at this point. And so I was finally ready, like, you know what, we got to get these uh, interviews out there. These people took time out of their schedules to speak with me. And this guest in particular took a lot of time because his original interview had terrible sound quality and people in the background making a lot of noise and things like that. So we basically re-recorded a third time. And when we did that, we ended up going totally in a different direction from our two original conversations. And that's what I'm going to share with you today. And the topic that we end up going in, we definitely start out like a normal militantly mixed episode where we kind of talk about uh, my guest's upbringing and, and things like that. And then it veers off into the subject of the N words. And I'm saying words with an S at the end because I think it is still unclear to a lot of people that the two words that you think of when you hear the word, the N word, in quotes, are actually two totally separate words. And those are nigger, the racist phrase with the hard ER that is used against black folks all the time by racist uh, white folks and others, I guess. And then there's nigga with the G-A. These are not the same word. And I know that people seem to, for whatever reason, think that they are, even though, you know, whether or not one derives from the other is a totally separate issue. 
we have to understand how these two words are used. And, and with that, you end up understanding that they are actually totally different words. The word nigger is a racist word that white supremacists have used against black people to um, enslave us, to subjugate us, to beat us, to put us in prisons, to kill us, to rape us, to, to dehumanize us. All kinds of disempowerment and disenfranchisement. That is what the hard ER word is. Nigga with the G-A sound is not necessarily a word that means a black person. It can mean 11 billion different things. It can be my friend, my nigga, that guy I want to fight, that nigga, that, you know, it could be, <laughs> there's so many different things, you know, oh, that funny person, that's a funny ass nigga. There's so many different ways that this word is used and it doesn't necessarily mean a black person. It could just mean a person that you engage with. I grew up speaking this word, even though I don't present as dark skinned or black presenting, I am black featured, but not black presenting. I grew up using this word in my, in my neighborhoods and my family and my, in my childhood and things like that. I still use, but I use it in places that I understand my mixed ass face is okay to kind of say it only because of all the in, incorrect beliefs and thoughts about this word. So. The topic of this episode veers off from mixed raceness towards the N-word, E-R, and uh, A, I guess, A sound, because of a story that my guest tells about a girlfriend that he had at the time. And this part of the conversation is what also made it hard for me to figure out where to place it in the grand scheme of the militantly mixed stories. And that is because there are times in the conversation that um, we are talking about this particular racist white ex-girlfriend that uh, doesn't sit well with me while we're talking about it. And I go silent at times and things like that. And in the re-listening of it, I started to feel those same old feelings. And it reminded me why every time I thought, okay, it's time to put this episode up, it was difficult. Partly, and I figured out why, I've been sitting on it and thinking about it, I figured out why. Uh, partly because I needed Militantly Mixed to grow enough that people were familiar enough with me and, and sort of my uh, maybe value system or my the way that I am, the way that I talk, the way that I show my empathy to my guests, things like that. I needed the audience to be familiar enough with me so that they, when they hear these words that tend to block your mind the second you hear them from being able to understand what comes next, I'm hoping that with you having the knowledge that you have of me now, having listened to the show for seven or eight months, that you get what's happening here. That we are two people of mixed race, both with mixed black heritage, who have different experiences of both the G-E-R and the G-A of these two words. When my guest talks about it, he's talking about it from a racist experience with an ex-girlfriend. When I talk about it, I'm talking about a racist experience with a friend that I had in third grade. When we're talking about the E-R. When we're talking about the A, we are talking about it as both a term of endearment or a term of fighting or a, just a word that we use. And I really, really, really hope that the audience understands when they listen to this episode that what you're, what you're listening to is the difference between use of a word and mention of a word. When we are talking about it in this episode, we are mentioning the words. We are not using them. They are not being used 
to attack or to endear or anything. They're just being mentioned in stories about experiences that happened to us. And at no point do we turn around on each other and use even the GA word. We don't even use that one towards each other as a term of endearment um, because we were focused on what most people mean when they hear the words the N-word. We are focusing on the intention and the usage of nigger with a hard E-R. And when he describes the experience with his ex-girlfriend, she's using the G-A word, but she's intending the E-R word. So I really, really wanted to put that up front ahead of the episode because I think it's important that once you hear it, you don't shut down and you actually listen to the rest of it, especially for my white audience. And the reason why I'm singling out the white audience in this case is because I know that this word terrifies a majority of white people so much that they don't actually understand it. I hope that explains it a little bit to make it easier for you to get through this episode. The other part of that is that this episode is not negative in any way. It's not negatively intended. Our rapport is of two people who are mixed race who have an understanding of uh, our mixedness, our otherness, even within our own communities. And so this is actually sort of a healthy and healing conversation. It's just that there are times when what we're talking about is so dark, it has the potential of shutting down listeners or making a listener be like, oh, with everything that's going on in the news or whatever right now, I don't even want to hear this. I really, really want you to hear this, though, because I think it's an important aspect of race and identity in general. And for the purposes of militantly mixed, the experience of these two words through a mixed black person or mixed black people in this case. Okay, I really don't want to get into it a little bit more. I'll let the interview speak for itself. But one other thing I do want to say about this episode is that because I recorded this interview so long ago, and now I've done the show, um, you know, every week for eight months or whatever, the Charmaine that I was when I was recording this and the Charmaine that I am now is actually quite a different person. Um, My perspectives about certain aspects of race identity and racism have altered throughout the course of speaking to such a wide variety of mixed people around the world. I have insight now that I didn't have before. And so while listening back to this, another reason why I'm kind of in my feelings about it is because I'm not always in agreement with the woman that is speaking here. And that woman is me from six months ago. (laughs) So it is kind of strange. I definitely feel a sense of growth that I didn't like I knew I have been growing. I just, you know, unless you got to hear back what you were saying before, you know, we don't often get windows into who we were in our past, not clear windows where we actually get to see or hear who we were. And in this case, it's only six months ago, but I can I can hear that I had a different opinion than I have now or different even experience of my own mixedness or my own relation to otherness or racism than I did back then. You know, it's just, it's actually quite amazing. And a whole nother element of why I love Militantly Mixed, because it does give me so much exposure and gives me the opportunity to improve myself just by having these conversations with mixed people around the world. So it shows me that I probably do need to get these older interviews out sooner rather than later so that I can go back to sounding like the Charmaine that I am currently (laughs) Um, when I release these episodes. So yeah. I was in my feelings. I'm feeling a little bit better now that I've prefaced some of the things I was concerned about. 
one thing that I'm thinking, I, I did re, I did ask the question um, on Twitter about white people's knowledge of Emmett Till, and I am very sadly surprised. I don't know why I'm surprised, but I'm surprised that white people aren't aware of who Emmett Till is or was and his relation to the civil rights movement, his tragic murder and torture by being falsely accused for whistling at a white woman. Um, it comes up in this episode, so you'll understand later, I guess. Uh, so uh, we may have a to be continued next week and where I deal with the kind of things that have come up since then, uh, because I did put it out on Twitter and my personal Facebook, the, the, the thing he mentions about Emmett Till surprised me so much that he wasn't aware of it until him and his mom was doing research on police brutality that um, it's really got me on this kind of personal like I need to know how much exposure white people have to the stories that black people have about what triggered the civil rights movement and what got us trying to fight for our humanity. Um, so next week, I do already have an episode planned. But if I get a lot of responses on Twitter, which I, I, I've already gotten a couple and I've gotten some on my personal Facebook. If I get a lot more, though, I, I probably will deal with this topic a little bit further next week in sort of a depart from a normal militantly mixed episode. So at the time I'm recording this, I do not know for sure if that's what's going to happen, but it may. If you would like to weigh in on this subject, the topic of the N-words or civil rights, the impact of different events like Emmett Till uh, on the civil rights movement, or the lack of information that maybe white people have, you know, maybe you heard it just now and you're like, I better research this and you want to come back next week and tell me about what you discovered or your feelings about it. I want to hear about this. You can send me messages via any of our social media, of course, Twitter and Instagram. We are at military. Mix and um, facebook.com slash mix where we have the page. And of course, you can always email me directly, Charmaine at militantlymix.com. That's S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E, at militantlymix.com. But I would really prefer and love it if people called in and left voicemails about their feelings about this topic. You can call into our Skype line, 323-545-6001, and just leave me a voicemail. If you leave a voicemail with a question, or, or a comment or something like that, I will put it in the show. If uh, you want to talk a little bit further and the voicemail cuts you off after a couple minutes, uh, go ahead and leave me your contact information and I will reach out to you and we'll get this discussion going. Because it's riled up something in me. I need to work it out. And if, if you feel the same, I would like to work it out with some of you. Because the Militantly Mixed experience I don't want it to be just me dealing with my issues of mixedness. I really want this to be a global thing and everybody participates and everybody shares. That's why I speak to other mixed race people and tell, have them tell their own stories. That's the other thing I've noticed in this episode. I now know to listen a little bit better and not talk as much. And in this episode, I probably talk a lot more than I do now <laughs> to my guests. You know, mostly I let them tell their stories and I sort of interject where it makes sense. Um, but I was still learning how to do that back then. So there's a whole lot of learning that happened in this episode or me listening back that I realize I have done since recording it. All right. Enough of that. We're already 15 minutes into this intro. Woo. Okay. Uh, my guest this week, his name is Sean. He is of uh, black, Japanese, and Melungeon and white heritage. He primarily grew up with a white experience, though. He has a white mother and a white stepfather who has been his dad 
dad his whole life, so that is his dad. Um, his white father really, really tried to cater to his blackness and try to help him have um, an identity of understanding in blackness as much as a white father can. So we do talk about that a little bit, but like I said, we end up veering off into the, the topic of the N-word. Um, so we may get Sean back in the future and kind of have a proper militantly mixed discussion, but it was important to share this topic because it is such a huge part of race and identity. And I think um, I think ultimately the audience, you'll have to tell me if you'd feel this way. I think ultimately you'll appreciate hearing the experience that mixed race people have with racial incidences or racist terms and things like that. I think it's important. So, all right. So with that, let's go on to my interview with Sean. Thank you for joining me, Sean. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about your, your background and your upbringing, and then we'll get into it. Okay. Um, my name is Sean. Um, my ethnicity is uh, African-American, half-white, and Japanese and Melungeon. And uh, my upbringing without, you know, within, uh, you know, being uh, mixed race was pretty um, uneventful. I, I really didn't have uh, too much racism uh, brought against me in my life. Um, of course, I've met some racist individuals. I'm pretty sure we all have. Um, I grew up in a pretty diverse neighborhood. You know, there was uh, a couple pockets of black families, Hispanic, white. So it was pretty diverse. I didn't get, you know, the traditional black upbringing with a black mother and a, you know, and a black father. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my father wasn't in the picture. So I got mostly like a, uh, a white upbringing, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and moving through that whole, uh, moving within a white community was a little bit, uh, interesting <laughs> to say the least. Cause when I was younger, my mom would hold my hand as we were walking through the store and, uh, people would ask her if um, if I was hers or if I was adopted. Yeah, that is such a common theme with the parents that I've been talking to so far is that they, if, if the mother is white, they they assume the child is adopted and or and, and like <laughs> congratulate them for being like, so, like, oh my gosh, you're so generous that you adopted this little brown baby. Um, and then if they're if but if the parent, if the if the mother is a person of color, then uh-huh. it's are you the nanny of this child? Are you authorized That's, to have your yeah. hand on this child? <laughs> like, jeez, kind of that loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I think that you know that it, it's kind of a problem. I, I don't think that it should be like that. I think that people should just kind of not really bat an eye at that and just kind of go along about their day. <laughs> yeah, like just keep your opinions about the parentage of this child to your damn self. Ex- and just be exactly. Like, oh, that's a cute little boy. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Oh, he's kind of cute. Um, you know, but uh, my mom, one time we were walking through a, a grocery store parking lot and I was holding her hand and I guess I had like 
a straight off and I accidentally walked right in front of this lady's car without even realizing it. And this lady gets out of her car mm. and starts screaming at me. Mm-hmm. I mean, not because I was like black or not because I was mixed or anything. It had nothing to do with race, but right. I think it was just this lady kind of lost her fucking mind. Right. And my mom being the person that she is, she's um, very, uh, uh, what is the word I'm looking for here? Um, she's very outwardly. Okay. She's got a very outward uh, type of personality. She likes to talk to people and she's very protective. Okay. So once this lady started screaming at me, my mom got right in this lady's face and just started screaming at me. She's like, you didn't have to scream at my child. The hell is wrong with you? <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, my upbringing was pretty interesting. So was, uh, when we talked before, you said your father had sort of been out of, out of the picture since you were around two, so you don't have a whole lot of memories of childhood with him. But you, no. your stepfather, who is a white man, yes, did made a lot of efforts to, if not inform your blackness, at least always make you aware of in, ter- in terms of safety of different things, different ways that you were going to have to navigate the world that your brothers weren't going to have to. Exactly. Yeah. No, he he didn't. I He still continues to do it just to make sure that, you know, and throughout my early 20s, uh, he's kind of still done that and tried to make sure that I have some awareness of where I am in this world and kind of where I fit in. You know, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm kind of grateful for the parents that I do have, because I know that I don't know what your experience was growing up. Um, I know a little bit about California and where Long Beach is. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I really know about it is that Snoop Dogg's from there. <laughs> Same neighborhood. <laughs> um, uh, but what I've noticed is that some some females or some white females who make babies with black men, uh, they either don't understand the full ramifications of what they've just created, or right. they try to diminish and bog down the fact that they've just created a, a basically essentially just a light skinned black child mm-hmm. or tell that child that they're not black. You know, I, I, oh. uh, well, I mean the, the mix the biracial kids that I grew up with that were black and white and whether or not the, the black parent was present. And I'm, I'm speaking specifically about white mothers. Mm-hmm. They tended to embrace the fact that they had the mixed child, but, but they didn't take care of the mixedness. So like you could always tell the mixed race kids versus just light skinned black kids because the mixed mm-hmm. race kids hair was crazy and because white uh-huh. kids never learned how to do black hair. No. Or, you know, things like that. So I, I, I never had the experience of seeing a whole lot of um, white parents of mixed kids behave as if they didn't, like, as if they weren't going aware that their child or they weren't going to allow their child to be aware of their otherness or, you know, their, yeah. their POC-ness. Um, yeah. So that's, that is different, at least from, from my upbringing. But usually the people that I knew that had mixed race kids embraced the culture that, like, li- lived within the culture of what their child was so of course like my mom she's she's biracial japanese and white my dad was biracial black and white we usually lived in black areas my mom mm-hmm. to this day my mom sort of like she performs black ghetto-ness even though she's okay. japanese and white uh <laughs> so she'll sometimes say things like why you be tripping on me and then you'll look at her like mm-hmm. oh, you look white Come yeah. <laughs> or, um, you know or she also does black hair exclusively does black hair so she's oh, you know she's a hairstylist up. and she's trained to do black hair so had i come out with you know more uh, hair that was more black like i would yeah. be fine so in her case like she's very different because she's she's also biracial too so she you know she was already uh, she she comes up with an upbringing of being like 
aware of culture being different, mm-hmm. you know? Of course. So, so in that case, I, I am a different experience. But yeah, I um, talk a little bit more about the, the, what you're talking about with the, the white parents not really embracing the the POC ness of their children. Um, by that I mean like they're they're kind of not really they're, they're kind of like make the children choose. Mm, okay. You know which side they want to they want to associate themselves with or be identified as, and and that's kind of a problem for me because. In most cases, uh, we're not allowed to. It's whatever the yeah, population has decided or, we are. Yeah, or the census boxes that they put us in. Um, yeah, it's also society too, but I, I think it's also kind of a, they, they want their children to look more like them, I guess, per se. So I guess that they have a easier time going into this world, which I, I can kind of understand that, but at the same time time that's that kind of plays a big mind fuck on them if right. you're putting them in into a situation where well my skin's brown my hair's crazier than holy hell <laughs> uh, you know um but i'm not essentially i'm not white i know i'm i don't look white yeah you know but accidentally assigned white no not ever and but for the the children that are mixed race and do have more um european type features and their skin is a lot lighter, they, their parents tend to make them look more white, which is kind of a problem because you can't really do anything with their hair that, I mean, you could put relaxers in it and you can make it straight completely, but the, but these kids, they'll, they, they have this piece missing or they have this right. piece that was denied to them. And, and that, that's not really okay. Cause you're kind of putting your, you're kind of setting your child up for failure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like every child is going to go through a bunch of different versions of identity crises. It's you of know, course. like, as you go into puberty and as you're this, and am I mm-hmm. attractive? Am I not attractive? Like all that kind of yeah. stuff. But then if you have to tack on, you also have multiple cultures, you know, to, to account for and racially you may not look the way you are ethnically i mean i think that's something you and i talked about before Mm -hmm. is that like if i'm on the east coast people think i'm dominican or puerto rican if i'm on the Mm -hmm. west coast coast, they think i'm mexican or filipino yeah none of those things am i like i don't have any of those ethnicities in me and so racially i'm assigned something that i can't connect to and in your case like i like to me your coloring is very similar to a typical black and white biracial person but your Mm -hmm. your face your features i see black i see japanese i'm also more sensitive to it because i'm black and japanese and white also of course Um, yeah but i would imagine nine times out of ten someone thinks you're some kind of latinx Oh, no, without a doubt. I mean, they take one look at me. I mean, not even just my facial features, not even just my nose or my eyes. They just look at my, well, even my hair was a kind of a, I would imagine that would be like kind of a dead giveaway because, you know, what Mexican do you know that has a big ass afro? Well, no, I mean, in terms of- Well, I mean, some of them do. Yeah, there are some, but in terms of like, just just assuming that you're some sort of Latinx, they would go with Afro-Latin, you know, you'd be Dominican or or Puerto Rican, you know, something like that, something that has a high- um, Afro-Latin population. Of course. Um, and I, I imagine your eyes confuse people a lot. Oh, yeah. No, they do. <laughs> when I first looked at you, I, I remember you sending the message saying that you were you were also black, white, and Japanese. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I've never met another black, white, and Japanese Kid. that I was related to. But by the time I saw you, I I think I was just thinking biracial, black and white biracial. So when you popped up on my screen, I was like, that dude's got some seriously Asian eyes. Like, you know, (laughs) because here's the thing that sucks about doing this podcast is that 
I ask everybody that I'm interviewing the questions that I admonish white people for asking us, you know, like because we're talking about Miss Race, you know, I I, I have to ask, like, what's your ethnic background? Where are you? (laughs) Where are you from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we're kind of it's kind of like a it's kind of like a flip switch thing. But instead of a white person asking, you know, me what I am, I have another mixed race person ask me what I am. Which, it's a weird bond thing, too. Like, it's like, I think we course. were talking about before, it's like playing punch buggy when you're a kid. You see another <laughs> person who has mixed features mm-hmm. or, you know, or skin tone that doesn't necessarily match the face. And you're just like, you must be like me. Whether that yeah. means that we're both black, white, and Japanese, or whether that means that, like, you're Mexican and white, or this person's Asian and black, or this person's Indian and Chinese. Like, mm-hmm. any mixed race person I see, I get excited because I think <laughs> they, more than anybody else, even of races, of ethnicities that I'm mixed with, will understand my experience far more than a typical monoracial person, even yeah. though I grew up black and identify mostly as black because that was what I was mostly immersed in. I would still mm-hmm. say this random mixed race person that I met is someone that can understand me a lot better. Of course. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I think that whenever I see another mixed race person, um, I kind of like, you know, I, I kind of get a little bit giddy inside because it's like, it's like, I, I, I see mixed race people, but there's not that many, mm-hmm. you know? So when I see another one, I'm just like, Oh my God. Yes. Right. This is awesome. Especially where um, you live. Cause you live in a very small area and oh, already a yeah. very white space. Yes. And it's it's like when I see another mixed race or color or even a black person just who's a a black person. I just I get giddy as hell because I'm just like, oh, my God, there's another one of me. Um, But I I don't know if you've ever had this issue. But uh, whenever I went to college, I went to Texas A&M in College Station. And there's so many different races there, like from black to Chinese to Indian to Puerto Rican to just every single mix imagined. You must have been like Charlie walking into the into the. <laughs> Pretty much, I was just like, I was just walking up in there, motherfucker. Just like, like there's uh, black ones and Asian ones, and there's, there's a whole different, you know, there's a whole melting pot here. I'm gonna get along great with everybody. Oh no, uh, probably. Well, no. awkward. Well, no, it, it was awkward because people would like look at me and they'd be like, "What the fuck is going on with this dude? Oh, Why?" Gosh. I'm so yeah. glad you said this because this is a part of mixedness that I try to explain to Monterey people that that gives them the like twisty head that puppies give you when they're you know mm-hmm. it's it's like look you walk into a space and you you feel a certain way right so like in my case I grew up in long mostly in Long Beach and also Sacramento I grew up mostly around black kids I grew up mostly immersed in black culture outside mm-hmm. of my house in, inside my mom's side of the family's house I was definitely Japanese but everywhere else in my life I was black so yeah. I'm walking around feeling black and then I walk <laughs> into a black space of people who do not know me uh-huh. and I have to pump the brakes on my on my performative blackness right so uh-huh. like- I have to answer the questions to make them be okay with me th- talking and thinking the way that I do. I have to say, yes. you know, I'm mixed race. And also I grew up in Long Beach. And also uh-huh. I, my experience is, is hood black, not just, you know, not just, other versions of blackness. And so yeah. then after that, then I get the stamp of approval and I can be myself. So I have to mm-hmm. basically ask permission in spaces to be what I actually am. Um, but that wouldn't happen amongst my own black people, like the people who know me. Yeah. And so uh, my, my podcasting partner, Javia, who's 
on the the Black Radical Queer podcast on our network. She and I, when we first met in person, so we had met uh, long before uh, through an internet group or something like that, and we we had connected. And I knew I was moving back to LA, so when I moved back to LA, we got a bunch of women together um, to you know just sort of like a social uh, event. And when we first met, like we already had, she already knew I was mixed and everything like that or whatever. But it was still yeah. going to be the first time I was going to be around her and all these other black women. And so then mm-hmm. I have to be the, like I go into that phase where I have to like ask permission to be black <laughs> and it's just it's just like the way I was it's just it's my own baggage from like the way I was mm-hmm. raised every time I went into a new black space I had to behave a certain way until yeah. I was given the stamp of approval and when we recall that conversation she says to me like you kept doing things that were like you were asking permission and we kept going this black girl needs to just be black and calm yeah. down like yeah. you know everybody that was there had you know and I was like well see that's because like these women were different that they, they were they were more woke to what was going on in my in my situation and they were more accepting of me because mm-hmm. you know they already they could tell within a few seconds of me talking that I clearly have a black experience and so and so they were very open to me but I'm dealing with my own baggage of every time I enter a new black space I have to kind know, of sort of like prove your blackness yes and it's it's just something that mixed race people have to deal with that that you try to tell somebody who, mm-hmm. d- who will never have to do this, you know, like a monoracial white person, a monoracial black person, Asian, they're never going to walk into a space. Uh, they're they're never going to have to do it because and, like they take one look at that monoracially black person and they're like, OK, that guy's black. But then you take somebody who's of my skin tone or your skin tone and we walk into somewhere like that and a they're like, well, what the hell are you? Yeah. And, and, you and, and it is true, too, because in the most in most cases, I am accepted by black people far quicker like usually my face is enough because I do have black features even though I have like a tan colored skin um, yeah. usually my face is enough but then I still have to like explain you know what's your background what kind of black are you so I can go into like the sorting hat tells me I'm hood black versus you know like that kind of thing yeah. has to happen um, and then we're good with white people I can be like no I'm half white you know my mom's half white my dad's half white so I, I equal half white and they're just like yes but where are you from and why are you so exotic looking you know like all the things that people hear well, me say on these episodes yeah. over and over again that frustrate me i'm more white than anything else and i am mm-hmm. less accepted as white by anybody like you know yeah. it's frustrating that like a filipino person can meet me in a store and accept me as filipino just off site <laughs> far quicker than a white person will when i'm like look here i have a british grandmother and a white grandfather like uh-huh. i have white people uh-huh. that i come from <laughs> Yeah, Um, you know, I I mean, like I've always found it easy to kind of to kind of just move within that space of being black as just of like, you know, just to try to educate people, I guess, on mixed race if that if they give me the opportunity to. Mm -hmm. But with with uh, with moving around and, you know, with black people and being around black people, I've never I've never felt like I wasn't accepted. You know, I kind of felt like I was always kind of like within the bigger larger groups I was always accepted um, but uh, the the one thing that was kind of funny though um, was that I've I dated a white girl which it's not that I have never dated a, a white 
female before I have, but it was just kind of like, it was new to me because I was just kind of coming into my own as a person Mm. and also as a mixed race person and kind of understanding what that meant. Mm -hmm. And then I've got this white ass girlfriend (laughs) who, who has no fucking clue, uh, you know, what she's stepping into because, Mm, you know, exactly. And I had to kind of coach her to understand that, you know, that if people start looking at us, don't really take it as, you know, don't don't even pay any fucking mind to it. It's like, bullshit. Don't, don't get me in a fight because they're looking at us weird. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, that too. I mean, it's like, it's like I, I don't want to have to kick someone's ass because they're looking at me because I'm dating a, a white female. You know, and uh, the, the fucked up thing is, is that my my white girlfriend told her parents that I was Mexican yeah. when I specifically fucking told her. I'm like, hun, I'm half I'm black and half white so and she, Japanese. She actually thought even though you told her the truth, she thought you were Mexican or she just thought that was easier way of explaining it to her parents. Well, no, she didn't want to tell her parents that I was black is what it ended up being. Oh, come on. I know. I was just like, I was like, I didn't even find that out until she said something to me or my friend did. Cause I guess that I had a, a, friend that a girlfriend that was black and uh like she was raised from like the hood like out in uh fort worth and that's like my best fucking friend on the planet that girl is like rock solid as fuck uh but her and my ex were talking and she was like yeah i told my parents that uh he was mexican Uh because they didn't want me dating a black guy i'm like it was actually her her biological father who had a problem with me Uh i'm just like come on man like (laughs) Like, like, what are you scared of? Because I'm going to make some mixed-ass babies with your damn daughter? Like, I mean, so basically, in their hierarchy, Mexican was a lesser evil. Yeah, exactly. And I was, Even a mixed-race black guy. <laughs> yeah, oh, so, when, so when her parents finally met me, I had to kind of set the record straight. I'm like, I don't know what oh, the good. fuck she... I'm like, I don't know what the fuck she told you, but I'm not Mexican in any fucking shape or form uh i'm half black half white half japanese um that's what i am and if you guys don't like it y'all can fuck off right i mean the bad side of that is like she put you in a bad position either she's trying to make you know have you be a part of the lie which is not fair to you. No. But it's also erasing who you are, which is another thing that we have of to course. deal with on a regular basis. Like we already grow up, you know, having not being visible as, you know, all the as, things that we're mixed mm-hmm. with. And then on top of it, now you're telling me to erase who I am just so I can get through this dinner with your parents. Yeah. Um, you know, like, or, or I got to tone down the fact that I'm black. I mean, there's really like like and I told her, I'm like, babe, I can't wake up like I can't go to sleep thinking that tomorrow I'll wake up whiter than holy hell. That's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I like I don't. I don't know a better way to explain that to you. When I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror, I still have to see brown or tan or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no changing that. And this is the problem that I that uh, we don't talk about and we probably don't even have a name for it yet, which is the the type of white person that will date people of color but are still racist. You know, like that act by erasing your your ethnicities for the sake of her family is a form of racism. Oh, no, without a doubt. And it's 
in a, it's like, I know it's probably one of the things that people would call a microaggressions, but I would call that a fucking aggression. Like that's not. Yeah. No, you know, I, I wouldn't even call that slightly a microaggression. Right. I, yeah. I would call that aggression. And, and to basically you're saying I, I'm not good enough on my own. I have to perform this other thing to make you and your family comfortable. But what about my own comfort? Like just exactly. because I have to deal with this on a regular basis, this is just one more thing I can add onto the pile, and it, it should be fine. <laughs> that should be my decision, not not her decision. Yeah, you know, that no, not at all. And I mean, after after I told them that, they were like, "Oh my god, I I cannot believe she even fucking said that oh, really? to us." Well, no, they were like kind of surprised, but then they kind of like just brushed it off and kind of just put it under the rug after that and then they kind of like they stopped talking to me for some reason because after I broke up with their daughter because she was verbally abusive and just horrible to me Mm. um (laughs) and uh I fucking I tried so hard to um to help my ex understand like what uh you know certain things that there were certain things that she couldn't say to me or just you know in the general vicinity of me being around my friend Elasia uh, my friend Elijah would come in and like uh, she would come in and be like, "What's up, nigga?" I'd be like, "What's up, girl?" And then my girlfriend would like look at me. No. She'd be like, "Did she just call? Did she just call you a nigga?" I'm like, "Yeah." Um, I mean, why wouldn't she know that she she your friend could do that? I don't know. I guess she was just stupid about it or just didn't bother to ask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh, and right. so she uh, she thought it would be cute to pop off and say the word nigga. Mm-mm. And I looked at her, I was like, the fuck did you just say? I was like, just because you're dating a, a light-skinned black dude does not mean that you can say that. I, yeah. I don't give a shit. Like, they want the wristband. They definitely want the wristband. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, no, you're not getting a nigga pass. But I'm just like, don't don't say that shit. Because yeah. if I'm not with you and you say some shit like that and you're just with Alasia, <laughs> white girl, you're going to get your ass whooped. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know what this is. I, I've had this too, where where white people feel that because they have a friend that is black mm-hmm. or black adjacent, as one white woman called me once. What? <laughs> so what the fuck? she really wanted permission to say it, and oh. and in the group that we it was a it was a social circle um, mm-hmm. for we, we were we were knitters. And, um, oh, okay. and, and where I lived was mostly white. And so there was only a few of us that were, uh, POC. And, yeah. and so she was definitely one of those women who thought she wasn't racist because she had black <laughs> friends. Right. And oh, it, I mean, not a few, like we would meet once a week and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and what we had in common was that we all knit, uh, uh-huh. but, but we also like, we, we also like to talk shit and, and things like that. It was like, yeah. it wasn't like, it wasn't like an old lady knitting circle. The age no. ranges were as young as 23 to above 50, but still it was, it was women who they, liked to talk shit and cap on each other. And it was fun. Yeah. I mean, but just every, like with any other social group. Yeah. But with every, every few sessions, it would pop up again. Like, why can't? I say it why can't I say it why can't I say it mm-hmm. and I, I, so there was a there was a light-skinned black woman there and there was mm-hmm. there was me both of us knew our our skin tones could, were traceable to colonialism in some way shape or form like, mm-hmm. even though my friend's parents were both black they you know she can tra- she knew that they were light-skinned because of you know mm-hmm. things that happened in the past and in my case you know I mix I mix with like just dis- people decided to have babies with white with white people so uh, in that case but it, it's still I'm 
my black side, we, we know mm-hmm. that there is there is um, some colonial white in there because our light skinned great grandmother and things like that. So mm-hmm. we could talk about this, but it was too difficult to try to to understand because the focus mm-hmm. of the question wasn't about why you are the way that you are. The focus was why can't I say it? And yeah. um, and we would always say, like, why do you need to say like the fact that you need to say yeah. it, this is what the part that we need to examine, because I grew up why? I grew up saying it. I, I, yeah. and I say it amongst my close friends and my of course, and, and same way with me, things like that. But I, because I am mixed and because I don't present, you know, and I'm doing my quotation fingers black enough, I'm <laughs> mm-hmm. not going to go into a new space of black people I've never met before and just, be no. like, oh, you know, like it's not going to happen. No. It's only no, it's not. It, it takes that time of getting to know someone one before before because i understand i mean i i hate that i'm about to say these words but i understand my place as a mixed race person mm-hmm. i'm not going to be quickly identified as black even no. though I, even though usually yeah. black people know when they see me they uh-huh. still need to know my experience to be comfortable with me saying it and it's not a, it's not something i need to say so bad no. that i'm like no. you must accept me so um, <laughs> Right. So, you know, this is this is the experience. And and this woman would, uh, you know, every so often she'd need to like, why can't I say it? Like, why can't can't I just say mm. it like once or can't I just say it in front of you and things like that? And here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Here's the way I feel about it. If you really want to say it, you will never get permission. to say it. No, no, there's no. <laughs> you know? no and and no. I am not the person who's handing out the, the permissions, like the punch cards or something like that. Yeah, it's, I'm you not, know, like, not, I, we're not giving out passes. It's, it's, in not, this motherfucker. Right. It's, it's such a weird thing that people need so badly. And it's like you have everything else. Not only that, you can walk into a space without being afraid that you're going to be harassed for any reason. Exactly. And, you know, and we have to sit there and be concerned about going to the grocery store and being followed around. Or you know, driving our cars down the road. Gra- and driving your truck, getting a traffic stop, like so many different things. I had, yes. e- even just last year, I had a white woman following me around the grocery store in my neighborhood, which is, it, it's near UCLA. So it's, it's actually a mix between like a white and Asian neighborhood per- predominantly, but there's a lot of, there's yeah. a lot of Latin people out here, a lot of Mexican people, um, and black people. So it's a pretty, a diverse area, but okay. you tend to see more white faces outside. Yeah. I'm walking around the grocery store, I'm being followed around. So, like, even me, wow. with my, you know, sort of tan, non, you know, racially mm-hmm. ambiguous face, even I'm being followed around. And a woman straight up asked me if I was stealing when I was putting stuff in my grocery, you know, my, like, my, you... my carry bag that I, you know. Wow. And, and it's like, so even, you know, even at 30, 38, 39 years old, this shit is still yeah, happening. So, you're still it, you know, getting... Yeah. So to have I, experience like that and then to look at this white woman who just really wants to say it, you know, like I, it was such a point of frustration and it was tired. We were tired of having to always tell uh-huh. her, you don't get permission to say this word and we're not the people handing out the permission, you know, like it's just not. The no, and, no. And I would explain why or I would attempt to explain why, it, I, you know, it was racist that she wanted to say it so uh-huh. badly, um, but it didn't uh, matter. And, and her excuses were always this, like the major racist things that people say. But I have black friends. I'm not that, racist. That, I have black friends. That you doesn't. Know, I dated a black guy 20 I don't, years ago, yeah, like whatever the things. A- and it was like none of these things make you know it's that, not okay. it makes you no less racist for wanting to say it anyway i don't give a crap how many black friends you have i don't care if you've dated a black dude. hell 
I don't even give a crap if you've got a, a mixed race child. Right. You, that still does not give you the ability to say that. I mean, I will say that if you grew up in a in if you grew up in the same area type of thing, of and you grew up with the same people, and you just naturally said it because of the neighborhood you lived in, like in that, like let's say yeah. an Eminem, for example, like he grew up in, yeah. in you know in the hood, basically predominantly black neighborhood. Predominantly black neighborhood. It seems like all his friends were black, and but he still can walk around the world i mean look he he can he can shoot up to stardom and be one of the richest rappers most successful rappers on the planet and he's white you know like a big portion of that is because he's white it i'm not to say anything about his talent that i'm not saying that he doesn't have talent he definitely does but oh he does um but you know there is also the thing that he is far more successful because I think because he is white, um, yeah. but he even he like I don't know if he says it amongst his friends. I I kind of imagine that he does, but he ah. he has never said it on a record. And he no, not he even has once. Even said I won't say this kind of stuff because I'm not because, going to give a whole bunch yeah. of white kids permission to say no. something. You know, and that is one area about him that I respect. Uh, you know, of course, whatever no, I, I, stuff. But like that in particular, he's mm-hmm. saying it doesn't matter that I grew up around here. And like I said, I don't know if his if he says it around his friends. I imagine that if he does, his his like close childhood friends wouldn't bat an yes. eye. But like, you know, yeah. no. Not but at if all. he came to me and my friends, we would. You know, even though yeah. we're mixed, we we would still. So it's it is one of those it is one of those weird things that um, people seem to need so bad, and they think that just by being in the presence of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a best friend or something like that, that that is the automatic pass. Yeah, that gives you nigga, disp- nigga dispensation is what it gives you, <laughs> or that, at least that that that's what they think. But you know what's funny to me is that with the word nigga, like that's been used in rap songs since the late to early eighties and throughout the you know, 90s. Um, But like what we have now is that we have like every single rapper on the planet is using that word to like as a filler Mm. word, you know, in their rap songs, which is not a bad, which is not a big deal because they've been using that word for years in rap music, in rap culture. Um, But I think now that it's become pop culture, like it's just become popular and it's become a a word that is just within the English language, um, you know, that it kind of gives white kids like I hear everybody saying it, not just mixed people, not just black people. It's Mexicans. It's white people. It's fucking Chinese people. Well, see, that's the thing. Growing up in Long Beach, everybody but the white kids said it. So there weren't that uh many of the white kids in our neighborhood, but Asians said it, Mexicans said it, black kids said it. And and so in that respect, it seemed more like a hood word versus a, a black word. Um, there were very rare occasions that I recall where where a black kid fought a Mexican or a Asian kid because they said it. It was mostly well, just no. like, like if we grew up in the same neighborhood, it seemed to kind of, of be a pass unless the kid was white. Like, they, yeah, they would have to have been. So Dave Chappelle has that joke about um, about the the one white kid that hangs out with a group of black kid that that's the most dangerous person in that group because yeah because you, don't you know have what no he idea to get the respect to get the, the respect right. that he got so unless you saw a kid like that there was yeah. very little chance you were ever going to let a white kid say it like or no. let you know I'm I'm saying let with quote quotation marks uh, yeah that too like <laughs> it just wasn't going to happen. But no. the Asian kids and the and the Mexican kids said it without batting an eye. So and most really? of the time, most of the time, black people didn't stop them. For didn't it. really. 
Unless well, they called some, like if they were just saying it like as part of the conversation. Yeah, I'd be like, them. hey, what's But if know, they you... just rolled up on somebody and, and you know, and what's up? then that's when we're, okay, that's when mm-hmm. it starts a fight. But it's not necessarily because of the word in that case. It's because of the uh-huh. roll up. So. It, well, it was also in the connotation that it was yeah. used too. Yeah. Uh, so, so in that case, uh, it's just, it's just one of those, those type of things. I, 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 but here's something that isn't often explained and, and maybe white people will understand a little little bit better over time mm. if they if they get to hear an explanation about that there is a difference between using the word and mentioning the word so of course if i'm a if i'm a you know a white girl who's dating a black dude or a mixed race person and all of a mm-hmm. sudden i'm out here going you know my boyfriend is a nigga you know like that kind of yeah stuff. no you like, can't that's you the thing that's probably that. gonna get you hurt you know or, or yes. yelled at or, or whatever but yes. if you're saying, you know, if you're that same white girl who's dating a, a black person and you're amongst his friends and you said and you say something like, and then this person said, you know, yes. that's mentioning it. That's something you don't get fought for. <laughs> you know, that's something no, you don't not get yelled at for. But people don't always know that distinction. And so sometimes there, you know, there is a thing. It's like when you hear on the news, I think uh, Don Lemon or somebody was was saying it as as part of their um, their report. And then people were saying they were offended because they heard the word. It was like, dude, he was mentioning the the word, not using yeah. different things. Uh, so that is something that like I hate that we it is our responsibility uh, to educate mm. in all these types of things. And it comes a point where like I, I've gone through my period of time where I would sit there and educate a person like the second they said something wrong to me or they asked if I, where I was from or whatever I would stop them and educate them as to what is wrong with that situation. now that I'm getting older yeah. I don't have time like I yeah yeah I'm, you don't really I, got time for that bullshit yeah just and I, like, I don't think it should like I am be, who I am right like I don't think it should be my responsibility now there are no. some times in which I I feel that it's this one of those situations where if I don't do it this person is going to keep you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm going yeah. And then there's sometimes when I'm just like, I'm too grown for this. I don't have time, you know, yeah, and I move I, on. I don't, uh, yeah, those are the people I usually make jump through the hoops. The ones that'll ask me mm-hmm. the 15 questions and they still haven't asked the question that they, they really want the answer to. And so I'll be like, oh, I'll just, yeah. sometimes I do that. But for the most yeah. part, I feel like, you know, I'm 40 and I don't have time for it anymore. Uh, no. But this is still an area where I have to stop and say, okay, I, I don't think it's my responsibility, but if I don't do it, you're going to probably going to get get hurt one day. <laughs> well, yeah, that and or you're just going to continue to uh, label me in the wrong category or as the wrong uh, colored person. Right. It's not understanding that the word that the N word and uh-huh. and nigga are different words. Oh, like, no, that's, they are. That's the problem is that. Uh, yeah. So you then, yeah, I've there was a previous episode in which I I do I'm retelling the story of the first time I experienced racism and oh, I was in third grade and the little white girl mm. said that she couldn't hang out with me anymore because my father was a nigger so I Whoa. you know I, I tell the story because that and that's, that's wait what so how old were you uh third grade so what is that like um it's like nine, what, ten, nine, like nine. Ten. Yeah, somewhere. Wow. Around. So like I knew I had always known I was different because I had a brown parent yeah. and, a, and a kind of yellowy parent and stuff. And I knew that my mm-hmm. other friends tended to have parents that looked the same. But I also grew up around military kids. So a lot of times we had different colored parents. So uh, yeah. I knew that they were different. But the way I understood it was was no different than like a lion is 
you know, like a fawn color and a tiger is orange. Like they're both yeah. cats. You know, that like I understood uh-huh. it probably at that type of level. Or like a that or age. like a white tiger is the same as an orange tiger. They just have different, different co- color yeah. patterns. So like I think that's how I understood race as a child. And it wasn't until the day that I had to go home and ask my mom, what is a nigger? Because this little uh-huh. girl had had yeah. said this to me. <laughs> Um, you know, and that was the day that I learned. And once I learned, you know, that that basically yeah. my life changed from that moment on. I was now mm-hmm. far more aware of my difference to the white kids of anybody else. And of course. And, stuff. and so I say that, you know, I tell that story mm-hmm. and um, I got one message where it was like, I can't, you know, I, I can't believe you. You had to deal with that at such well, an early no, age. The thing is, like, I can't believe you said the word. Oh, it was wow. Like, there, but, but what oh, I'm wow. doing is I'm telling a story and I'm mentioning what. The, the fact that somebody called you yeah, and a so, nigger. Like white people are so much more sensitive to hearing the word that they really want to be able to say. Um, well, that <laughs> they want us to not say these words, you know, and well, well, there's well, they're also sensitive to the fact that I think that, um, yes, there are two different, you know, meanings. Uh, nigger and nigga are completely different. But I think that the reason that white people cringe at that is because they can't deal with the fact that they were the ones that invented that word to keep black people in a yeah. in an. Uh, in a very demeaned state. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it was it was just one message and, and um, I had replied to it, but they didn't they didn't reply back. Um, so wow. I don't know if they'll hear this and, and want to respond. But, you know, basically my reply was, you know, I'm not going to be afraid of telling the story the way that it happened. And sometimes yeah. racist story. I mean, most of the times, every time <laughs> the racist story is going to shock and it's going to hurt. Yeah. And I think in particular, what was more disturbing about this particular one was that it was a you know a nine or ten year old girl who said it to me and so this person yeah, probably that. imagining you know and, and I mean it was a it was the perfect storm of racism the girl was mm-hmm. blonde you know white blue eyed you know like the whole the Aryan poster eyed. child you know type of situation yeah. and and so to hear <laughs> that word come out of that uh, face that is that's mm-hmm. that is how it's done like that's how that yeah. word gets said and so oh, of course so, you know, I imagine like someone's like, you know, these are just children. It's like, yeah, well, no, because that child went home that the, the, she had looked at my picture of my father and said, why is your dad brown? I said, I don't know. He's just brown. And the yeah. next day she came back to school and said, I can't hang out with you. So what happened? She went home and told her parents, hey, Charmaine has a brown dad. Why? Yeah, why and, is he brown? And her parents said, you can't hang out with that girl. Cause her dad's because a nigger. Her, wow. That she may have just been a child, but she learned that at ten years old, nine or ten years old, uh-huh. from her father. But who knows what she is like now? Oh, you know? of course. Like I mean, she wasn't going to be out of that situation. No. She's going to learn from that from that parent, and that's going to uh-huh. inform how she grows up. And so, whether or not she is a racist person now. Or whether or not she would actually recall that memory and be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe. I, yeah, I you can't know. believe I just Who I can't knows? believe I said that. Honestly, I don't remember. Like, I don't remember her name. I just remember she was my little friend in third grade. And then she wasn't my little friend anymore. So, mm. you know, I have very. Um, so, so, you know, like uh, in that case, it really wasn't that person's place to send me a message and say, I can't believe you said that word, because that's a person who doesn't understand what just happened. What I happened. Was yeah, I no, they don't at all. You know, I mentioned the word because somebody because, said it to me. Yeah, I'm telling a story. What I didn't do was call somebody a nigger. That's different. But yeah, it's that's just that complete- someone didn't want to hear the word. And then, yeah. then you have to ex- distinguish the difference between 
nigger and nigga and why they are different because because white people think they're the same word that we just say with a bad accent. Yeah, like they <laughs> think know? that we say that or that we flip switch it and they're like, wait a minute, no, you're not saying that correctly. Yeah, like it honestly, y- yes, does I am. Mean mean a totally different thing at this point. These oh. are now two words and and honestly could have two separate lines in the dictionary if you know if accepted. In you know, of like, they are oh, different yes. words and you know sometimes words are derived from another thing and and in this case you know I think we make the the statement that we you know we've taken the word back or whatever but I don't think that's the case I think it's it, I don't yeah I no, think it's I, just I think it's we, morphed into something different now and yeah some I, of us say I, it I some think, of us don't that's just it well yeah no I agree with that but I also think that there's um, I don't think that we necessarily took the word back. I just think that we put a different connotation or different uh, spin on it rather than it being a racial slur. We're going to use this as a term of endearment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, well, it's a very flexible word because sometimes it's a it's a fighting word. But um, oh, of course, that, know, too. that but, too. But basically, it's just something that is far more complex than the like. There's only one way to use nigger. There's 11 billion ways to use nigger. Oh, of course, there you is. know. So they are different. They're different words. And and at minimum, white people just need to not want to say it so badly. Like, Or if they, you know, I would at least, I don't know, I, I, they, I mean, they should not want to use it. I, yeah, there's that. There's one comedian. Gosh, I can't remember who said it. So I go to a lot of comedy shows out here. And I wish I could remember who said it. But someone, someone said it was maybe Roy Ward Jr. Or, or something. I'm not sure. But the joke was something like, um, you get to you get to have a traffic stop. You get to leave a traffic stop without being shot. So we're going to go ahead and keep the word nigga. I think that sounds pretty fair. You know, like, like, I mean, it's like, it's not even close to compensation, but no, you know, it's it's, until we don't have to be afraid of a, of a traffic stop because we have a, a light out, then you don't need to, you don't need this word that bad. You know, like yeah. you just don't need it that bad. That's funny. We totally went, we went hardcore on this tangent and we, uh, we didn't get back to the, the stuff that we were going to talk about earlier. No. This is how this stuff happens. That's, why I fucking That's love okay. I love, I love having these conversations with people because because, well, luckily at this point, I've gotten to talk to you what, like three times now. So I think yeah. I said before, like you're the you're the first black Japanese and white person that I've ever met that I'm not related to. And so I was super excited when I got that first message from you. But one of the things that I did want to get down with you is sort of like how how did you when you were growing up, how were you understanding yourself? Because you're in a house with two white parents. And and luckily, I mean, I know I made the three. joke about um, yeah. I, I know you I made the joke about woke white daddy but like it seems uh-huh. like your your dad like really made an effort to yes. not, not other you but make no. you aware of how you would be othered and and therefore was very sensitive uh-huh. about putting you in black spaces and giving you those sort of things that you needed so that you could kind of see yourself in the world yeah Let, let's talk a little bit about that because you, you also have uh what two white brothers also i've got three three younger white brothers yes um and you know with that uh, with my dad being, you know, uh, quotations around woke white dad, mm-hmm. um, he, uh, he exposed me to a lot of different, um, music within the black culture, like kind of showing me where, uh, where rap came from, like essentially where like the underground, um, beginnings of rap and where it originated from and the, in New York and all throughout Philly and all throughout the East coast rap scene and, 
down towards the south southern rap scene and all that and mm-hmm. I, I learned a lot about that type of culture too so I'm pretty well versed in, in that and then I'm also you know he kind of tried to put me in spaces where I would be uh, kind of more uh, accepted and not really put into a box like mm-hmm. if I'm hanging around black people well obviously you know people are going to see me as black but if I'm hanging around white people, I still don't get those kinds. Of, I still kind of have to maneuver in that space of, well, what are you, you know? And then my dad would kind of just tell them without me really having to explain it. He's like, oh, my son's black, you know, instead of really having to go into this long, drawn out conversation of mm-hmm. what the fuck is he mixed with, you know? Right. Um, but and most of, you know, most of my dad's family is white, except for his cousin, who is of mixed race. So I've got another. I've got a mixed race cousin. Okay, good. And uh, my dad's uh, sister, or my yeah, my dad's sister, her daughter, uh, she is dating a mixed race uh, black boy. Um, so there's really no, there was really no, um, you know, racism from that side of my, and even from my mom's side of the family, I didn't really get anything. They were more concerned of the fact that my mom was having a mixed race child with a black man and what that would be like for me. Mm. So they, you know, they, they still loved you and, and oh, of course they loved me, own, but they, they were worried about what kind of trouble you would have in the world. Well, yeah. And then not being raised in a predominantly white family, you know, they were kind of worried more like, Oh my God, how is he going to get seen in this world? Obviously he's, you know, not white. He's more of like a tan brownish color. And I mean, when I was younger, I was like really light skinned. Like I was almost like white oh really that's, yeah that's like so, so strange and most of us are say that we're like dark as kids but we're paler now you have the opposite no that's no i got the i got the extreme opposite of like <laughs> i'm whiter than holy hell and like the the one thing that kind of threw people is when my mom would tell them that i was mixed they'd look at me and be like no he's white but you still had i don't know the, ha- the the hair right like because oh, you have yeah, extremely no, I, curly hair yeah i did um my curls actually didn't come in until i was about five mm. about six yeah about four or five or six years old my curls actually started to come in mm. and but it wasn't as thick and coarse and dark it was more of like like a kind of like a sandy blonde. Mm, I so like that too. Yeah, and then it started to get darker as I got older, and so did my skin. So I'm like, okay, well, this is a little odd, <laughs> but I look cool. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of just rocked it from there. You know, um, and my dad just kind of exposed me to a lot of you know just different things, and it was That's yeah. Cool. So when when did your when did your your dad come to come around? So your father left around two. When when did your dad come about? My dad came shortly thereafter, actually. Uh, It was me and my mom for, like, the longest damn time. Like, me and her, it was just me and her. Like, there was no other, like, she didn't date anybody. She wasn't, like, you know, putting herself out there. She wasn't making herself known or as, you know, known as single, Mm -hmm. you know. So it was just me and her, and that was, that was actually, um, that was fun, quite honestly, Mm because it was kind of interesting to get that perspective of of having, um, you know, having a white mom and a black child Mm -hmm. type of experience. Experience because most people didn't really think that I was hers. Yeah. So 
it, that that was kind of funny and then you know my mom always kind of just made it apparent that obviously I don't look white <laughs> you know and, and we've had multiple like me and my mom have had multiple conversations about me being mixed race mm-hmm. and so to get a better understanding she kind of did a little bit of research like she obviously knew that I was gonna have some type of of struggles in life Sure. Yeah. With with me being the way, you know, with me being the color of, you know, the color that I am. Uh, but she brought up this and one. And growing up in the South, too, primarily. Yeah, too, that right? that was also one of her other things that she knew that, OK, if I'm going to raise this child in the South, that he's going to have a lot more um, things to deal with racially than he would on the East Coast. I mean, of course, you know, that's just kind of the way it is down here. Black mm-hmm. people are are looked at as, you know, dangerous, savage pit bulls, right. <laughs> which I think is a horrible way to um, to categorize a black person. I think that's ridiculous, and I think we should stop doing that. Um, I mean, it's also very rough on children to, to have to realize yes. that, they're, that they are considered more dangerous than even a grown-ass yeah. white man or something like that. Yeah, it's like, fuck, like, I'm not going to do anything to you worse off than what a white person would do. I mean, just because I'm big ish and I'm muscular and I'm built does not mean that I'm I'm any less like a white person is not any less capable of kicking your ass worse than I could. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but my mom brought up uh, after she did a little bit of research, she kind of wanted to understand of like why I was evoking this um, this fear of getting pulled over by the police. Mm. You know, to understand it a little bit more, uh, she brought up this this uh, this 14 year old child back in the 19 back in 1953. His name was Emmett Till. Yeah. I don't know if you, yeah okay okay yeah you've heard about that. Yeah. Uh, it's, she, a, it's the spark that lit the uh, silver rights, civil rights you know powder keg. Uh huh. And I I watched the video and I saw his face and like this wash of like, oh, my like, what the fuck? Like, you know, just complete and utter shock of like, she's like, okay now I better understand as to why you're scared of, you know, the the thing that your mother wasn't aware of the Emmett Till story. No, she actually she found that and brought that to my attention. Like I was unaware of it. And uh, that was like that was a very powerful uh, picture. I, I like. Yeah. Well, his mom was a badass because she. Oh she fuck re- yeah. She refused to have the closed casket. Casket. She wanted to make sure that those photos, um, you know, were broadcasted because everywhere. she wanted the world to know what it was was like. And then you know, all these years later, only in the last two or three years, the the white woman who had claimed he had whistled at her, she finally came out and said he had never he had never looked at her. He had, he had never. Done a, he had never, had never done, done a damn thing. And so, you know, here this poor child was murdered by the hands of grown-ass men. Um, and not just yes. murdered, like tortured. Disfigured. Disfigured. And then and then chained to a cotton gin and, dr- and drowned until his body, you know, became all puffy and everything. And bloated. And, and then she has had to, she's been able to have a life, you know, in the world for all these years and waits until she's an old woman that you can't do anything about. Um, yeah, no, you can't fraud. really. You, and and yeah, it is you can't fraud. Really. What she did, what she did was a crime. And oh, she no, should of course. have paid for it and she should 
you know, I, I, I don't, I, I assume she hasn't died in the last couple of years because I don't recall hearing. But um, actually, I, I think I found out that I read somewhere that she had recently passed away. Oh, really? Okay. It's the most cowardly thing on the in the world to wait until you're you're dying to you try are, to like, make amends or of dying age. Right. At the least. Like, I think she was only like eighty seven. Yeah. That's not that. I mean, that's that's up there, but you're not. I mean, some people are still sticking around, you know, later. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's a, it it is, it it definitely is one of those things like, um, to, to think that, you know, nothing's changed. No, you know, you're still, you're still every day you're opening up the the news to find out that another black man was killed in a traffic stop or or, or another young store or whatever, you know? Yeah. Or I mean, like, but but there's not. I mean, yes, of course, yeah. You got to open the news and, and read those things. And I think that, but but here's the thing: we also, you know, there's there's a level of savagery to that, but nowhere near along the lines of savagery as to what happened to Emmett Till. Yes, there's still savagery. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But that there's was a not. Special but level that's, of torture that that. Emmett oh, of course. Through. But uh, you know, I, I think that what what I think we need to start doing within those cases of of the you know young black men and just black men in general uh, getting harassed and uh, shot and beaten by the police is that we need to change uh, their thought process and what they've been conditioned to think. Well, I think a big portion of it too. Yes, I mean, obviously, we have to figure out why why races tend to gravitate towards the field of law enforcement. But I think also we need to allow people from the neighborhood to police their own neighborhoods. I mean, I, I, I completely I agree. Yeah. But I'm also I grew up in, in Long Beach and during the time of the L.A. riots and the, uh, the yeah, LAPD during the... was notoriously racist when I was growing oh, up. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were beating the fuck out. I, black I mean, I'm assuming they were horrible. it's still going on because we still have cases that are popping yes. up in the news here and there. But at, the, at the time that I was growing up, it was a constant like, I mean, even I every have, other day. Uh, to this day, at forty years old, I still have a fear of the police because LAP. Well, I see the word, the letters LAPD, and yeah. that strikes fear in me because oh, I grew up down course. here and I remember what the LAPD meant when I was a child. Um, and you know, like most of the things, kind of get me out of the eye of the LAPD, right? I, I'm a woman. I'm, you know, I'm pale. I'm not. I'm not. A, darker skinned i'm yeah. i you know i i'm i i'm not usually in a situation that i that i have been pulled over by something there have been three occasions where i've been pulled over for something that i felt was faulty but um mm-hmm. you know but like, you didn't push the issue or anything like that you just kind of said oh this is kind of a bullshit well I, I tried to dispute in court versus dispute mm-hmm. on on site with the cop because I, yeah because that's when bad shit starts to you know, i don't want to get shot like i don't want of I, course I, I no don't I mean, that, I don't. I don't, I don't also want to comply when something is wrong or unjust. But yeah, I also of course. Know that you know, if I don't like, I don't have my car set up with cameras, so uh-huh. you know, so like things. Like, but really... it's been a while since I've sort of been pulled over. But you know, there there have been occasions. I I also had reported a police officer for dismissing me from a scene of an accident because his friend was the person who hit me. And oh, um, and when I kept telling him my insurance wouldn't let me, you know, file a claim unless I get a police report, he yeah. he told he like started to yell and he's like, "Ma'am, get in your car and leave." Well, wow. technically, my car was not supposed to be drivable. I did drive it, but yeah, by the time you... I got to the shop, the shop was like, "I cannot believe this car didn't fall out from mm-hmm. under you." 
because yeah. I, I had gotten rear-ended really at a really wow. fast speed on the on the freeway and mm. uh, so I reported the police officer because he you know refused me a, uh, yeah, that, a yeah. report and made me feel unsafe well this is the scariest thing that ever happened to me with the cops really is that a couple months later a friend of my husband's brother <laughs> oh, wow. uh, was over at my in-laws house and he goes mm. hey Charmaine do you ever report out against a CHP officer and oh, I no. froze because there's no reason why this particular friend who I hadn't seen in months. Yeah, then, yeah. why the like? How the hell does he know but that? He was a CHP officer, and he was oh, he that's... was um, he had come into town to visit his friends, and so he's mm-hmm. like, you know, I saw. Um, he's like, basically, what he said to me was, "We have a book of people who have reports out against officers, and wow. we are told to keep an eye out for these people to basically <laughs> cause further harassment." You know, and, wow. and he said, "I saw your name pop up," and he goes, "And I couldn't remember your last name, but what you're the, the only." Charmaine I've ever met. What and, the fuck? Right, and the, the trip was is that oh. the event happened in Salinas County, which is in sort of like northern central um, California. California, and yeah. um, and when when he saw me, we were in Sacramento County, which is still northern oh. California, but he was yeah. working in southern California at the time. So oh, wow. all of, of the California Highway Patrol had Patrol. access to this book, I guess, or this, oh, whatever, this no. list. And he had seen my name and he had never met another Charmaine. And so he was like, he goes, okay, um, here's some tips. If you are getting pulled over by any police officer, he's like, not uh-huh. just the CHP, but a sheriff or, a, a, a you know, a local cop. PD. He says, pull up in front of the doors of a grocery store. Like, that's what he really? told me to do. Yeah, he said, pull up in front of the doors that's... of a grocery store, like where the doors open, because there's probably a camera there, but there's also traffic flowing in and out. And he says, talk, he says, roll down all the windows and talk very loud. Like, wow, like don't that's... yell, but talk loud but, so that people can hear But speak assertively. You. Yeah. Well, no, no, not, not assertive. Just loud oh, enough just, that the people okay. coming out of the grocery store can hear me speaking. So, oh, that wow. th- so that they can say, no, she was in compliance or, you know, whatever the fuck. Because yeah. if anything happened to me, he's like, he's like, don't pull over on a dark road. Don't pull over on the highway because people are just going to speed past. He's like. He's like, put on your hazards, slow down, yeah. and drive until you can pull into a grocery store. In, into or somewhere a- that's safe. Yeah, and so uh, so that was one of the scariest things that had ever happened because, wow. I mean, I, I, I have scarier things from when I was a teenager, but uh, yeah. that was, I was an adult, like I was, uh, I think I was 23, 24 at the time that that happened, wow. 25 even. That's, and, um, that's, um... Yeah, so like, I have a... I have a what I feel is a legitimate fear of the police, and I haven't yeah. had nearly as bad of incidences as some of my, you know, black brothers and sisters have had. So, yeah, of course. So, you know, even to be mixed race and have this kind of experience, you know, I, I can't help that I am always going to align more with the experience of black people than I am with the experience of white people, because I don't believe I would have some of these things happen if i was no if i presented you were yeah i you know know, that that's kind of the thing with me too it's like i i mean and down here living in the south uh you know some of the cops are uh some of them i would imagine are probably racist i mean here's here's the thing we only have one black cop in the on the entire local uh, police force that we have Mm. here in my town Mm. (laughs) the rest of them are either white or mexican Mm. 
Now, I try to make myself look as non-threatening as possible, but there are days where I kind of dress a little bit more thuggish, I guess. Mm-hmm. And which, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't really, I don't really care. I mean, let people look at me all day. They, you know, take a picture, motherfucker, to last longer, <laughs> you know. Um, but whenever a cop pulls up on the side of me, like I like to, you know, drive with my seat reclined a little bit because it's a little bit more comfortable for my back so that way I'm not like sitting fully up and I look like <laughs> and I just look I mean, weird doing that. I you're a big dude that. too so you, you probably need the space. Well and I'm short too so oh, it's kind of like uh, you can't yeah, tell I'm, from I'm, how I'm only 5'1". <laughs> no you're not. I'm literally I'm 5'1". I'm not tall at all. I'm Are a you very serious? Sh- uh-huh. Because when I see you, I mean, I've only gotten to see you on the video screen. You look like Rod and and everything, well, no, so I, I mean, assume I'm, a, t- I'm, a height I'm, with it. No, no, I'm actually five foot one. Did you get that from the Japanese side? I wonder. No, I, I got that from my mom's side. My father was actually six one. I don't know how the no fuck I got way. the short end of that stick. <laughs> oh my! But whatever, so whatever, cops pull up on the on the fucking side of me, like I'll go in a straight up like uh, like even though that I'm black, I kind of like drive like a white person whenever a cop is like right on the side of me I'm just like yeah I think seat we all up. kind of straighten up yeah. let's just let's just yeah let's just act not black right now because <laughs> if I don't this cop's gonna pull me the fuck over just, just smile real big too well also you have kind of a teddy bear voice like you to, when yeah, I, the no. difference of, of seeing you on the on the video screen versus uh-huh. just hearing you talk is that you do kind of have like a really uh cheery kind of happy-go-lucky voice Uh, yeah that's that's funny um so i'm sorry we are getting closer to the time i definitely i really do i really enjoy talking to you you're so fun to talk to Um, likewise and so thank you for meeting with me again the recording on this one is uh a lot better i can i can tell already and yeah um all right right. thank you no problem all right talk to you later Militantly Mixed is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.